0: Welcome to Managing Marketing and today I'm joined by CEO of Newsmodo, Raquel Eberly.
1: G'day Darren, it's great to be with you. How are you going today?
0: I'm actually pretty tired. We had the uh, awards last night so I've had about uh, five hours sleep and I'm feeling a bit, bit, uh, let's say, not quite with it. But anyway, I really appreciate you making the time because you're actually a new dad.
1: I certainly am, and it's been a fantastic experience. We're about five or six weeks in, so, you know, um, just learning the ropes, but it's been so
0: far so good, Darren. So, uh, you know, you have a better excuse for sleep deprivation (laughs) than me. Mine's (laughs) self-inflicted. Well, I guess yours is in some ways. (laughs) It is a
1: little bit, and you just learn to put up with it, although I must say now that I'm back full-time, I'm doing everything I can to try and get those crucial hours in um, in the early hours of the morning in particular. But, no, it's fantastic. I'm loving it.
0: That's great. Um, but that's not why we're here, is it, Ricardo? Because uh, one of the things that I want to talk to you about is content. And you're obviously aware that we have a very big content strategy for Trinity P3, and we've talked about that previously. Mm-hmm. But uh, Newsmodo is a business that really does understand content, isn't it?
1: Look, we've had an interesting journey to get to where we are now within the content marketing landscape. Uh, my background is in journalism, so we actually founded the Newsmoto Network with very much an editorial lens and initially it was a network of freelancers who could be engaged to create compelling editorial content or stories for um traditional or legacy media clients so in in essence we were exclusively a news agency um it wasn't until around 2013, when we started getting some inbound inquiries from organisations and businesses who were indeed looking for the services of journalists, that we had that aha moment that the, uh, the craft of journalism or editorial um, content creation could be applied so well to brand storytelling.
0: And so that's a different journey into the space of content marketing, because, you know, I know quite a lot of the other uh, companies have come from like uh, custom publishing, you know, where they would publish magazines for brands. You've actually come and built this business around the sort of what I'd say the pure craft of journalism, haven't you?
1: Yeah, and we still do work very closely with those legacy media publishers, both here in Australia and abroad. So we um, have an editorial desk just like any newsroom and we have um, a process and systems in place just like other newsrooms that we work with. So whilst we still... um, Uh, in the content marketing space, we almost have a hybrid business model where we're still actually operating like a newsroom. So it does give those clients in the branded content space that we work with um, I guess an advantage in that they have that network of freelancers Mm -hmm. and also the capability to become um, not just an empowered publisher of content but quite responsive in the way that we can work with them
0: as well. I think it actually, Raquel, gives you guys an advantage as well because it keeps the team pure to the idea of writing content that is of interest and in engaging to an audience, doesn't it? Because, you know, a, a great journalist has the ability to write a story in a way that engages the, the reader
1: yeah what we find is that we work with a number of different clients across different verticals and because we've now identified the skill sets of our journalists across all networks and across all um, areas of expertise we can draw from the best the cream of the crop Mm. in all different um, categories of interest. So if we're working with a finance uh, client, we can really tap into that expertise to get up-to-date knowledge on um, industry trends and facts and figures. But more more importantly, as you said, the craft of journalism is all about investigation, unearthing the, the simple stories within often complex matters and identifying who the audience is and being able to convey that information in a way that that audience can actually digest it. And I think all too often we we often um, try and overcomplicate storytelling to mm. a point where it becomes almost too, too much information yeah. or information overload. And certainly that's the case with so much content out there. Our role is really to try and um, be laser like with our focus of what quality content is and find the best people in that skill set to produce it.
0: Mm. So yeah, you because know, that's one of the things that really frustrates me in my role you know, of trying to match um, major advertisers with the right suppliers, you know, the right um, business mm-hmm. partners. Is that everyone today tells me that they do content, and in actual fact, most of the agencies are not doing content. In my mind, they do advertising. Right. They could be short or long term or form advertising, mm. but they do advertising. Do you have some way of distinguishing? in your mind, what is content or branded, uh, what did you call it? Branded Storytelling. Or branded story. I mean, everyone does storytelling (laughs) as well. There's another one. Everyone's a storyteller. But in actual fact, um, there is a big difference, isn't there, between the two?
1: Look, I think everyone knows that um, there's, for instance, native advertising and there's certain limitations to the amount of product placement that good... um, platforms that produce native content will allow. So from our perspective, we understand commercial imperatives of all of our clients in the branded space. However, we encourage our clients to to, to look at um, their content creation or a hybrid content creation model with us from a perspective of what's going to add value to the audience, what's going to put the brand in a position of authority and provide information that will keep that audience coming back. Um, and often that means by providing insights and industry information, tips and tools that will um, advantage that audience um, through the content that we deliver. So our role is really to tap into that network of journalists and ask them for the feedback. So often when, when we receive a brief through Newsmodo, we don't sit internally and put you know, ideas up on a whiteboard. We actually go to our network and find the people who know more about each topic than, than we do. And to your so point specialists around- specialists in each topic- Exactly. So are the
0: ones that have the input into the way of presenting that's that That's right. Topic. So
1: um, vertical by vertical, client by client, we'll bring in a different pool of journalists or content creators as they often are now into our um, ideation process. And by doing that, we actually start to unearth great stories, not only about the industry more broadly, but often also about the company or the client that we're working for. And an example of that was with Levi's. We were working on their fashion blog and they asked us to just come up with great stories about our product. And we were able to put that out to our global network of freelancers. And you can imagine with 15,000 journalists saw the amazing photo essays and different stories that we got. Some were of truckers in Texas wearing the same pair of Levi's for the last 15 years, you know, with great images of them on the tractor or the truck and things like that, that the client was all of a sudden like, wow, these stories exist about our own brand that we didn't know about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you ask about what makes great content, I think great content to us is something that Um, people actually want to absorb and they come back to proactively it involves um, their day-to-day life and they don't necessarily need to tap in proactively um, online they can share it or they can be part of that I guess what we would call the loyalty loop with the clients so they're actually engaging and thinking about it from the heart not just from the hand by clicking on it
0: Mm. because that's an important distinction from my perspective, because it is the difference between outbound marketing and inbound marketing. Because outbound, I was a copywriter for 15 years, Mm. and you were writing stories or messages or advertising or whatever, knowing that it was going to be put into a media that was deliberately disruptive, Okay. Whereas now, when I'm writing our own content, and, and you know, along with the rest of the consultants, we know we're placing it onto our blog or, or website, and and that people, are, are, it's going to have to be the sort of content that people want to come and read. And I think there's a real difference between the two. You know, you when you already assume that you're going to get disruption. Mm then part of the job's done, isn't it? Whereas if you're writing something that, as you say, people are going to want to come and engage in, Mm. that's a totally different process.
1: Yeah, and it puts the brand as a publisher in a much better position, um, particularly when you're talking about the respect of the particular brand or publisher because you're not throwing or forcing um, branded content down people's throats. Um, A great example of a brand publisher that we work with is ANZ Blue Notes. Um, And I know they get referred to a lot in our industry, but rightly so, and they're an award-winning publication and their numbers uh, speak for themselves. And we get um, charged with the opportunity to work with their uh, managing editor, Andrew Cornell, to deliver content from across APAC. And um, in that instance, what we do is we've got all these great journalists, most of them expat Australian journalists living in different areas across Asia. And they have a standing brief to unearth great stories about um, FinTech technology on on its own. Um, just changes to um, society in their, wherever their region is or part of the APAC region. And we um, get these amazing pictures that we put across to Andrew for consideration and he commissions them monthly. And my point being that as a publication, ANZ Blue Notes Never ask us to uh, to unearth stories or to promote their brand, to promote ANZ or ANZ products, but by the way that they publish these compelling stories and the and the nature of the topics of those stories, they're um, drawing in that audience already. And um, and they're building, I guess, what we would call that, you know, brand identity. Mm. And the audience is starting to build a relationship with that with that publication to the point where they're now um, growing such a big audience that they're really competing with um, legacy media publishers, particularly in the finance space. It's
0: it's incredible. Well, and and they've got an advantage in a way because you know when you read a finance journal magazine, there's so few of them these days. Mm. I mean. One of the things that concerns me is that journalists working in a journalistic news environment seem to be so obsessed with the news of the day, the 24-hour news cycle, whereas what I've noticed is that if you get this right, like you mm-hmm. say with ANZ Blue Notes, you're able to explore issues that are not necessarily on the 24-hour news cycle. They're not news, but they are of interest because you know you can go beyond what's happening today, what's the story mm-hmm. that's breaking, to be able to explore some of those other areas. It, it, it's a reason... you know I think it's an advantage. What well, do you think?
1: What branded content does do, from our experience, is it gives the publisher or the the company, the brand, the opportunity to provide long-form content to its audience, to um, do features, Mm -hmm. to put enough time into um, a story that will actually let the story really breathe. And often that's um, not a luxury that the traditional legacy media publishers can afford these days they are on that daily news cycle on that on that some um, churn and burn kind of mm-hmm. news cycle so we love it when we get that opportunity to work with brands on feature stories which we do quite regularly now um, and actually put together a, a piece of content that is um, going to a- effectively last online not only from a readership perspective but in terms of its um, um, relevance within, you know, the time frame that it's being viewed. Um, ANZ have done some great pieces on, for instance, some um, metropolises, if that's a word, or metropoli. <laughs> the metropolis, <laughs> the, the of metropolises people. of Asia and mm. what um, certain um, mega cities almost would look like if they were to start to expand and almost mm. join up. And you can look at this o- over on uh, their site. And what it actually has is really beautiful um, a user journey where you can click through and there's more than just the, the words and images, there's animation. And there's an actual uh, experience with yeah. that
0: content. So sorry, but because um, um, I'm starting to think here that a lot of this content directly competes, doesn't it, with the content that the publishers mm-hmm. are trying to charge people for?
1: As in the legacy, yeah, publishers. the legacy
0: publishers. Aren't yeah, they?
1: look, I, I was on a I, mean, I was on a panel only a couple of weeks back with the new news. Um, Group from Melbourne University School mm-hmm. of Advancing Journalism. And yeah. um, we had a, an interesting debate about the, um, the differences between branded content and editorial content. And um, there was a, a news editor from The Guardian on that panel who welcomed the inclusion of branded content because it can only make the industry a better industry in terms of there being more more um, opportunities for freelance journalists and more competition between publishers to mm-hmm. um, win audience uh, attention. So there's definitely now a really relevant competition now between brand publishers and um, and traditional editorial. Yeah, publishers. that
0: competition's important because you know I've had a number of marketers going, and probably because of industry fatigue. Oh, there's just too much content. Uh, I don't believe there could ever be too much content. What Mm -hmm. there's always space for is good content, isn't there?
1: Yeah, we find that long-form content is what um, delivers the better results from our perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. we, We do majoritively what we would call editorial style content so we we don't see ourselves as as an agency that produces bucket loads of social content that goes out on a daily basis like the two
0: or 300 words that uh, you know that to me feel like fairy floss
1: yeah where we try and put um an editorial lens across the work that we deliver so we find um that that's what you know, an, art- an article of at least 800 to 1,500, 2,000 words. So that's
0: a e- long form for you, 800 plus words, at, yeah?
1: I would say six to 800 is a is a standard article. Um, mm-hmm. 12 to 2,000 words is generally um, a longer form. And then we start talking about anything over 2,000, we would start looking at a white paper, realistically, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, it's interesting uh, that you make that observation because we've found exactly the same thing in our own case. Mm. Uh Quite a lot of people, when they come to contribute, will write these four to six hundred words, and I caught. You know, they talk about snackable, but I say it's fairy floss. You know, you <laughs> might snack on it, but it leaves you totally dissatisfied almost immediately. Mm. We've found that uh, you know about twelve hundred words to two thousand gets a huge amount of people in time, dwell time that they sit there reading it, but also a much higher level of engagement. They're more likely to share it socially. And more likely to comment on it. And uh, people, when I say that to uh, possible contributors, Mm. they go, Oh, so it's about the word count. And I go, No, the words, the word count actually forces you as a writer to go beyond the obvious. You know, I can pretty much bash out 500 words or 600 words on something and just skim the surface. Mm. But to write 1,200 words or plus of compelling, content on a topic i have to go beyond the surface don't you
1: yeah it's true when i was working in television and as i said my background's in journalism i worked for a commercial television network for 10 years and there was a formula to writing television news stories and <laughs> by the time you put in your grabs your eight second grabs you really only had four or five lines to work with and when you have only four or five lines you as you say can only skim the surface mm. you, you have to make sure every word in that instance the craft is putting in power to every word because you only have so little to play with. But when you're writing long form or editorial content, we find that you really do need to be able to dig into the um, topic a little bit deeper to get that engagement. And then obviously for shareability and for people to want to feel that they connect with the content to um, to make it something that they wanna share. And that's really important because the reasons that we share Articles or things on social media is because we almost resonate with it to the point that where we all we support it or we. It's a reflection of yourself. It's a reflection of yourself. Yeah. So you you want to make sure that you're providing something that people can either absolutely detest, hopefully not. Most likely, see it as something that adds value to their life to the point that they're compelled to show their world around them that they want to share that material.
0: Now. Your Newsmodo is a business that mm-hmm. offers the creation of content for uh, publishers, major brands, brand publishers, the like. There is a uh, a th- stream of thought that in content marketing, this should be the voice of the brand, so it should be created perhaps within the organisation rather than being uh, outsourced. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and in yeah. our own case, we do that. We yeah. source from our existing consultants because they're the ones with the experience and the knowledge of what we do. Yeah. But I can see in this conversation that there's opportunities where you're talking about very broad topics, yeah. and especially consumer-focused topics that uh, there's, pro- there's benefits in getting an external viewpoint from yep. experts in that field.
1: Yeah, so I've, um, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about this because I've contributed to your blog with the hybrid article on hybrid content creation and we we really see that as um, a big, big opportunity for brands in the future to not only nail their internal comms and their um, important campaign-based, business-based um, marketing communications, but also to be on top of the more broader issues within their industry and looking at their industry um, through, I guess, a third-party lens or mm. through an investigative lens that positions them ultimately as um, an industry leader or thought leader. And simply put, I agree that nobody really knows your brand better than you. So there are a number of topics and a number of issues which really should be delicately um Created or the content should be built around the internal knowledge. And particularly if you're the spearhead of the business, Mm -hmm. you want to be positioning yourself as knowing and also writing from the heart. Um, When it comes to more broad industry-based issues, we find that that's when we can start um, working with the client to overlap or lay over, whether it be day-to-day news-based content or evergreen content that we can then use to either support or, or work in conjunction with the um, content that a brand might be creating internally. And most of our clients are working in that way. Mm-hmm. We, we would be foolish to think that we're the only content supplier for a lot of our clients. And I think most agencies would probably say the same thing that, you know, they're not always working exclusively with their clients on, on 100% of their content.
0: No. I, and, and I think one of the um, you know, the huge advantages that you have at Newsmoto is the breadth and depth of the voices because you know, while I understand the importance of having a brand voice, uh, as you say, you you have a huge choir that you can draw from to actually add to that. You know, hopefully in harmony, maybe in discord if that's appropriate.
1: <laughs> well, look, ultimately the brand is uh, has the final say on publishing the the material. So these are only suggestions, and and usually what we do is we do that ideation process on a monthly cycle. So we're keeping ahead of the editorial schedule and the client is the one that can tick off the ideas that they feel best support their um, own content objectives and, and the stories they want to publish. But what it does do is that it does lay over another level of sophistication to um, their output because they really are able to tap into the expertise of that network. And we do it all the time, particularly in the finance industry and Um, industries like innovation and tech Mm -hmm. where there's so much going on and it's impossible to have no no matter how wonderful your team is yeah although maybe yours is an exception of course damn but usually no matter how wonderful your team is it's just impossible to know everything and if you're pretending that you do well you're probably missing out on some great stories so uh, most of our clients see that as the greatest leverage of being able to work with us is to engage that network so that they're not putting up the whiteboard every month and having to draconiously uh, put up
0: different stories, you know, and understand. And that's that's one of the things that, uh, you know, we've had marketers that have started down a content strategy path only to hit a rock, which is they cannot produce enough quality content within their own resources to do it. Mm. And then... Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately they'll usually turn to either their PR agency or their advertising agency to help them produce content and yep. suddenly you know there's uh, quite expensive content that's not getting any sort of level of engagement because it's more branded than it is yeah you know, entertainment or informative or you know useful
1: it takes and just on that it takes a bit of guts to write material that isn't branded I think mm. <laughs> that's a big leap for a lot of companies particularly mm. these days where it's it's not cheap to create quality content and so on every piece of content you have to um, trust that by allowing it to breathe and allowing it to be positioned as um, almost tra- well, transparent content, that it will still add value to your overall brand positioning. Mm-hmm. But certainly when we're um, talking about agencies, I know that a lot, of, um, a lot of the agencies that are starting to get into more content creation are looking for outsourced opportunities or collaboration because they just don't have one or two copywriters that can work across Ten different industries, uh, so that really is something where being able
0: to—it's <laughs> funny. You, sorry, you've just reminded me how, when I was a copywriter, I became an instant expert on whatever tip. I was working on. And the fact is, you're not. It. You know, it's impossible. You, you'd read, you'd you'd borrow, you'd steal bits from everywhere, and then re-massage it. But it really isn't producing quality content because you're just rehashing someone else's thoughts and ideas and work anyway
1: yeah and most marketers these days and you would know better than me but most don't have time to scratch themselves let alone to be researching and writing articles they don't have time to turn up
0: to a meeting on time (laughs) that's how how little time they have look yeah and and i've got a feeling in this conversation that we've mainly been talking about the written content. Mm, yeah. but clearly there's some big trends you know we hear about video being so much more engaging and and uh, thank you uh, for the opportunity to do the podcast yeah. and we're doing a podcast yeah, yeah. now you know, do you see uh, is it a, a, an opportunity of matching message or in, uh, content to channel or are there particular channels that you see are becoming more popular because they're being seen as more effective or engaging
1: I would love to say that um, video is taking off as much as I really want it to. My background's in television
0: and... And you have a face for television. We should be doing a video, not a (laughs) podcast.
1: Although after the recent birth of uh, our newborn, I'm looking more and more tired by the, <laughs> yeah, the maybe, bags. Maybe, maybe yeah, some like cucumber <laughs> under the yeah, eyes. Thanks, so look <laughs> I might borrow yours, mate. Uh, but yeah, video is really becoming something that, um, for instance, we're upskilling in. We've just hired a new um, video manager. So he'll, he'll literally be our project manager and business development manager for us on, on the video side of things. And he comes from as i have um a a tv network background which is really exciting because our clients are really really um screaming out for more video and it's something that is once you start doing it you realize it's not that difficult to do and it doesn't have to be a big production it doesn't have to be in a studio and storyboarded to the nth degree you can turn around um, great video material because you've got a compelling story as simply as a, as a written article. It's about article. storytelling. Exactly. You know, for, and,
0: and, and the journalistic discipline of being able to unearth the story and the insight yeah, and bringing it to life.
1: The real, that's it, the real challenge with any video-based story is the identifying of the story before you go out and shoot it and not coming back with the wrong angle or the wrong um, take on the story. So yeah. that's something that we work with our freelancers across Australia and... Um, and overseas on and we've done a video project recently which was a great example of um, how video content can be done without a bit costing an arm and a leg where we used six videographers in six remote locations to okay. um, to create a series of content mm-hmm. for one of our clients and then we brought it all back in-house and pulled it together um, but that the client was amazed that we're able to produce six videos that all had the same look and feel without having to put people, you know, bums on seats in aircraft.
0: <laughs> so I don't mind the fact that, you know, because people said, oh, video, especially online video, will be the death of the written word. I actually like the fact that people have rediscovered reading mm. and they will read as much or as little as they like. So um, you know, this idea that video needs, you know, it needs to be a short uh, three minutes is the ideal you know, people create all these rules around content and yet you know, we'll sit there and watch a two hour feature film, why do we do that? Because it's engaging and interesting and escapism and, and, and good storytelling I'm not sure why we create this constraints rules. for the audience because you know we posted uh, a 27,000 word uh, white paper but we did it in 8 uh, posts on the thing and got right. a huge amount of engagement because we serialized it, but mm. they people read twenty seven thousand words. If you said you were going to write a twenty seven thousand word post, people say, "Oh, no one will ever read it." You're you crazy. Know, you make a mm. you make a twenty minute video. Uh, if it's terrible, no one will watch it. I think but it.
1: Yeah, I think it. De- it does depend on your audience. I think that there is some relevance to um, short attention spans of generation X and beyond. Um, there's you know, there's definitely a trend towards mobile and um, and certainly for the younger generation that is where content is consumed. Um, much, much more content is now being consumed on social media um, streams, you know, Facebook, mm-hmm. Twitter and so on, than um, it was even a year or five years ago Definitely, and that means that the, um, the fight for, for that attention is really, really, you know, quite um, competitive. Um, legacy publishers aren't reaching those audiences like they were, so they are using things like Facebook to try and um, infiltrate that market, and it does mean that there is, within that, I believe, younger audience, you know, people will switch off after a certain amount of time, but there's a time and a place for long-form video <laughs> as well.
0: Or do they switch off when they're satisfied? You know, because that's the thing. And I remember an, um, a journalist at uh, News, uh, editor, in fact, uh, Peter Blunden, oh, yeah. said to me, you know, we might write a 500-word 500, 500 book. Article. We might write, you know, an eight hundred word article. We structure it in a way that they'll they'll yeah. get most of the information up the front, and then the next paragraph will be elaborating the first major point, and then we'll restate in the, you know, the <clears> second. It's word fleshed more. Out. Yeah, it's fleshed out as you go down because we know that only someone incredibly engaged will read the whole thing, but most people will start with the headline and read as much as it takes to get what they want out of it, and then move on. And I thought, well, that's an incredibly customer-centric view of the Mm. world Mm. rather than feeling like just because I created this piece of content, everyone must wait till the end to get the big (laughs) da (laughs) da at the end of it. Well,
1: that was the golden rule in in television at least from my... Um, learnings is you always put the hook in the first line and the rest comes off that's why they call it the hook so it is the same with video that you're creating you you definitely don't want to save your best shots or your best grabs or your most important points for anywhere other than at the top of the the piece of content and sure um, I'm sure a lot of content video doesn't get necessarily seen all the way through and people still get that satisfaction from it we do what we just because of the nature of our experience and um, and what we find works well is we do create most of our videos that around like a news package minute 30 to two minutes um, and then we'll even create a snippet um, for social media which generally is only about 15 seconds mm-hmm. like a little a little
0: rush kind of movie. Because advertising actually works the other way. Advertising is often structured like comedy, where you do, 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 do here's the story right. and then <laughs> yeah. here's the punchline at yeah. the end. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So, that just that difference in discipline mm. may, is hugely insightful into the fact that the a journalistic approach is to get this this main point up front whereas an advertising approach is somehow to lure you in mm. and then hopefully you're there at the end to capture it at the end or the gag yeah the gag at the <laughs> end to make it memorable
1: yeah and look both work really well when you do it really the right when, you well. do well. when you do it well. Unfortunately,
0: only a small number of people get it really right.
1: Yeah, but I think because it's become so competitive now, as you say, there's really um, the good stuff does stand out. And I think we're very fortunate in Australia now to be working in a time where uh, quality is really being um, brought to the fore and the competition for audience across all verticals and different platforms is really requiring um, agencies and brands to be a little bit more thoughtful about
0: the way they go about their content distribution and creation. Um, okay. Well, look, what I want to do now, because mm-hmm. we need to, to sort of finish this up soon, but I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm getting my crystal ball out mm-hmm. here. Here you go. and I Jim, want That's you to a look, big ball, I want you to look into that crystal <laughs> ball and tell me what do you see as the future trends or the future of content marketing
1: i love the way that brands are becoming publishers of content um you only need to look at and i know this gets brought up a lot but red bull is an example um, of a great brand that is now making more from their publishing side of the business than they are from their energy drinks Um, and this is a trend that we really love to see for instance i was on a flight recently and watching some vice um, style, documentaries, and, and you see that storytelling is woven through this content in a way that, um, again, it's not necessarily the production costs, it's the quality of the story that is really engaging the audience. And I love, uh, you know, I've got a um, a, a godson, his 16 now and he's getting into his own content creation. He's building his own story, he's a magician and he goes out and he starts shooting social media experiments where he does different tricks with people on the street and you know, he's building his own brand effectively through his um, over a period of content creation telling a story, telling a story about himself and his skills and you know how he engages with people and brands are doing this um, really delicately now and thinking about the way that they're um, bringing audiences into their community rather than pushing themselves into the audience's space. So I think in the future that will be um, more prevalent where brands will start to set up their own publications, their own publishing um, mechanisms. Short Press, the Optus um, publication that OO Media are putting together is a great example. Um, Qantas's AWOL, where they're really delivering brilliant storytelling through a a publication.
0: Um, Look, and and I've got a wry smile here because it sounds like this is new, but in fact, I think it's John Deere have produced a magazine for over 100 years. Uh, that's basically uh, branded content. Isn't and
1: it? soap operas are called soap operas because they were sponsored by soap companies, and yeah. it's been going on for well before. But technology
0: you and I... is allowing more people to do it, more brands to be able to embrace it than ever before.
1: Yeah, I think brands are finding new ways to build communities, and um, and that's really exciting from our perspective, but also from an audience perspective because. They're learning that it's not all about sticking banner ads and um, advertising in people's faces. It's about building a rapport with Mm. particularly younger audiences who are so um, hard to get the attention of now. And there's so many things they're bombarded with. They'll only play in the spaces that they really want to represent. You know, you Mm. talk about the shareability of content. Young people in particular are, are very, very um, staunched about what they share and the reasons why. So for brands to get into um, that space, they've got to be connecting with the heart, not the hand.
0: Mm. And and rewarding them for giving up their time to engage with you yeah, as well. Yeah,
1: and there's ways that they do that. Immersive technology, I think, is going to be amazing. If When we, wow, we talk yeah. about video and you start thinking about... Virtual reality is the next Mm. thing coming down the pipeline and being able to immerse yourself in an experience. I know Taylor Swift did a brilliant project with, I think it was MasterCard or Amex recently, where you could actually get inside the video clip and look around and, you know, um, look at what's on the shelves and read letters on the ground. You know, it's amazing. So watch this space. Look, it's really exciting. It's a brilliant Mm. time for people in marketing and it's a great time for journalists now because opportunities are opening up where they weren't necessarily five years ago
0: that's great Raquel thank you thanks for giving up your time and coming and having a chat about it because I think it's really exciting and uh, the stuff that you guys are doing at Newsmodo is uh, a great opportunity for marketers thank you
1: thank you Darren and uh, if you're interested in this topic and hybrid content creation jump across to the Trinity p3 blog thanks for having me Darren it's been a real pleasure